Amen. Lord, that's our heart tonight. You alone would be magnified, glorified, lifted up. You're a great and an awesome God. Your name is above all names. You're perfect, you're holy, you're righteous, you're faithful, you're just. Your grace is beyond measure. Your mercy is far beyond what we can even understand. We just thank you, Lord. So, Father, as we go to your word right now, we ask in Jesus' name that you would be our teacher tonight, none of man and all of you. Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to each of us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Turn your Bibles to Joshua 16, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament tonight. encourage you to read Philippians chapter 2 for Sunday, as we'll pick up uh, in our New Testament study on Sunday morning. Again, encourage you guys about the men's retreat. Just a special time to get away with the guys and have some unhurried time with the Lord. Uh, I'm going to be there the entire time up until Sunday morning, spending the night there. I just think it's important for us to to get to know each other better, have a time of great fellowship. There's going to be five different local pastors speaking. I know you guys will be blessed. Our own worship team is going to be up there for part of the time, so it's going to be great. All right, Joshua 16. We're going to continue to look at the children of Israel as they're headed in. Now they're in the land of promise. And as we've talked about so far, that every time you look at an Old Testament picture, it is a picture of a New Testament principle. Whenever you see something in the Old Testament, it always points to something in the New Testament. As we've talked about repeatedly, just quickly, Egypt, the type of the world, Passover, you know, the, in the shape of the cross, deliverance out of bondage, then heading over the Red Sea, a picture of water baptism, Mount Sinai, the receiving of the law, hearing the word of God, then headed to the land of promise. And we know that an entire generation passed away because they did not heed the word of God, as most of the people on this planet today, sadly, will pass away not knowing God because they will disregard His Word. Nothing has changed. But now we saw them go into the land of promise. And over the last few weeks, we saw the two and a half tribes were satisfied to stay outside of the land, and nine and a half tribes went in. And we began to look at how the tribes were given their land or their allotment within the land of of promise, the land of Canaan. Now we talked first about the first tribe to receive their land, which was the tribe of Judah. Now Judah went first. Judah went first when they were marching through the wilderness. Judah means praise. And so it's praise that goes before us. It's praise that leads us into the presence of Almighty God. And it was praise that led the way. And Judah was also the tribe that Jesus would come from. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So Judah went in first. And as we saw in the last couple of weeks, there's a guy within the tribe of Judah. There's a guy that I really like a lot. A guy by the name of Caleb. And what I loved about Caleb was that when he went into the land, he remembered God's promise from 45 years earlier. You guys remember the story that Caleb was one of the two spies that went in when 12 spies went in. He and Joshua came back and he said, let's go in and take care of these guys. God's with us. We'll take care of them. Ten spies said there's giants in the land. We're grasshoppers to them. We can't fight them. And Caleb said, let's go get them anyway. Well, because of his faithfulness, Moses toward Caleb, when you enter into the land, and you will, when you enter into the land, I'm going to give you the land of Anak, or the Anakim, where the giants are. So 45 years go by, and as we said the last couple of weeks, imagine continuing to pray and trust in God's promises for 45 years after he told you. We, we want 45 seconds, 45 minutes. Right? I've been praying for 45 minutes. Come on, God. 
What's this about? We, we're in the microwave generation, right? God answer my prayer right now, right? And here's Caleb praying, not 45 minutes, 45 days, 45 weeks, 45 months, but 45 years trusting in God's promises. And 45 years later, they're getting ready. Now they're in the land of promise, and they're getting ready to divide up the land by lot. If you remember from the last few weeks, they would pull out the name of a tribe, and they would pull out the name of the lot or the land that they would receive, but God said he was in charge of it. So they weren't rolling dice, they weren't taking chances. This was God's method for giving them the land that he had promised. Now, as they're getting ready to to grab these lots, Caleb comes in, now 85 years old. The second oldest man in all of Israel, next to Joshua, who's about over 100 by now. And so Caleb goes up to Joshua and says, don't forget, I get Anak. And if you've been here, you know that he was asking for the land of the giants. Anak means thick-necked people. I want the land of the thick-necked people. Now, as I said a few weeks ago, if I was 85, have been serving God as a warrior for 60-plus years, I would be asking for a condo on the Mediterranean. You know, give me the rocking chair, you know, right on the Jordan River, and just let me go fishing. But that was not Caleb's heart. Caleb wanted to finish strong, and he said, you promised me the land of the giants, I want it. Now, last week we saw that not only did he take the land or ask for the land, but then last week he went up there and fought the giants himself. He's 85, and he wipes out the thick-necked people. Again, why? Because he understands the greatness of his God. You know what? There's only giants in the land if you've got a small God. If your God is a giant God, there are no giants. Amen? Because our God is greater. Why did David slay Goliath? Why did everybody else was petrified of this 11-foot, 750-pound Goliath. He'd scare me too. But you know what? Why was everybody else afraid? And this kid comes along delivering cheese to his brothers. You know, he's not even supposed to be there. He hears Goliath challenging them, and he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? You know why? He didn't see Goliath through physical eyes. He saw him in comparison to Almighty God, and Goliath's a wimp compared to God. Amen? And so he went out there and tore him up. Now, we see that Caleb goes up, and then what I loved last week, what a great lesson for, for dads and, and prospective young men who think they're going to marry somebody's daughter someday. You guys remember last week from Caleb, Caleb said afterward, he's, now he's wiped out the giants himself. And he says, if anybody want, will go down and wipe out this territory south of here, I will give you my daughter as wife. Now, why in the world would he do that? Because he could have wiped him out himself. But Caleb understood giving ministry away, and he understood what it meant to disciple other men. I believe he wanted to give ministry away. I believe he wanted to challenge others. But I also believe he wanted a godly man for his daughter. And he said, if anybody is willing to go down and fight the other giants in the other areas and go down there by faith and trust in God, then that's a guy who can marry my daughter. Any guy who's scared away by the giants can't have my daughter. You know what, any guy who's scared away by any dad's heavy duty, you know, getting on him a little bit, doesn't deserve his daughter, amen? Are you going to run away? Get to going, amen? And so he, this was Caleb's heart, and Caleb said, you know what, I, you're, if, if this is the woman God has for you, I pray you'll be victorious. I almost have an, an idea he might have prayed, and Lord, if it's not the one you have, wipe them out. Because I don't want my daughter to have less than your highest. 
Again, as dads, it's not that we don't want anybody to marry our daughter. We just want God's highest for our daughter, nothing less. And if you're God's highest, you'll be able to stick through it. And you won't wimp out and run away because dad's loading his shotgun when you get there. Now, the result was that there was a man who was faithful. His name was Othniel. And we talked about what a great guy this guy turned out being. When we get to judges in a month or so, a month and a half or so, we're going to see that he's the very first judge over Israel. And we're going to see that when the enemy comes in, he goes in and wipes them out. He becomes a mighty ruler, a mighty man of God. And where did he learn to be this mighty man of God? He learned it from his father-in-law, sending him down to fight the enemies. He learned it from a father-in-law who gave away some of the challenges. And as we close out last week, what I was encouraging each of us is that we cannot first keep all the challenges for ourselves and we can't leave them to everybody else. If you're in a situation, you need to give some of the challenges away so others can grow. And you also need to be willing to accept some of the challenges so that you might grow. Amen? The challenges aren't for the super saints. The few, you know, on-fire Christians among us, they're for every single one of us because it's the source of growth. So we looked at the tribe of Judah, and the way that it ended last week was kind of sad. Look at the last verse of chapter 15. It says, As for the Jebusites... And the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah, could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. God had called them to wipe out all of their enemies completely. And God said, I've already won the battle. You just show up and I'll do it. But you've got to show up. And you've got to trust in me. You've got to be like Caleb. Caleb, one 85-year-old guy, went in and wiped out the giants in the mountainous country And the entire tribe of Judah went out when it came to these Jebusites in Jerusalem. Now we know that they were in a stronghold. And it's a picture for you and I that there are strongholds in our own life. That God desires that we not hold on to one area of life. This is my one sin. I'm just hanging on to this one. You know, I got my get out of hell free card. I'm going to heaven. I'm walking with God. And I just got this one thing I like to do. And, you know... Satan keeps reminding me that God's forgiven me, right? Satan loves to do that, by the way. God will forgive you, just do it. You ever heard that before? (laughs) Satan's a liar. Now, it's true that God is a forgiving God, but sin still has consequences, amen? And we are to walk in holiness, not so that God will love us, but because he does love us and he knows what's best for us. And so that's how it ended with the tribe of Judah, that they did not wholly follow after God. They did not do all that God had called them to do. And sadly, Jerusalem remained with these Jebusites there until somebody else came along, a man by the name of David. A giant killer had to show up to wipe him out. A man of great faith, and they had lacked faith previously. So, tonight, we're going to see two more tribes. They're going to enter in and give their allotment within the land of promise. And we're going to see that God's design and God's plan for each one of us is that we would be content in the Lord. I titled the message tonight, The True Source of Contentment. 1 Timothy 6.6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. What is contentment? And I want to to say this. It's so sad to see so few people that are content today. So many people, there's just one more thing i got to have and then I'll be content. Right? If I just get that one more, that's just, just that one thing, then I'll be content. Guys... Gals, if you're not content now, there's nothing you can add to your life to make you content. 
Your contentment doesn't come from stuff. It doesn't come from your flesh. It comes from the Lord. And you, go, you will be content now if you will simply walk in obedience to the Lord, seeking His face. Contentment is defined this way. It's a state of mind in which one desire, one's desires are confined to what he already has. I like that. My desires are confined to what I already have. You know what, guys? You know what you already have? You already have Jesus. You already have the Holy Spirit. You already have the promise of heaven. That should be the point one of contentment right there. Amen? I'm going to heaven. I'm a new creation in Christ. It's the opposite of envy, selfish ambition, and anxiety. As we're going to see in tonight's text, we're going to see some of the enemies of godly contentment. The things that keep us from a spiritually satisfying and fulfilled life. In tonight's text, we're going to see where Joseph had been used so mightily by God that his lineage was given a double, a double portion. Now, the reason they were, remember, jo Joseph was sold into slavery. Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He was falsely imprisoned and yet faithful. So his descendants were doubly blessed. If you walk in faithfulness, your descendants are going to be blessed. If you walk in obedience to the Lord, your sons and daughters will be blessed. But we're going to see tonight that his sons, his descendants, are going to fail miserably due to their indifference toward God's commands, their desire for worldly riches, their disobedience to what the, what the Lord has called them to do, their fear of the enemy, their laziness, and their attitude of self-importance. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Those are things that will keep us discontented with God. Contentment is not sitting in your rocking chair doing nothing. Amen? That's not contentment. That's laziness. It's okay to sit in your rocking chair once in a while. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And godliness includes a calling. So the true source of contentment, we're going to see tonight God's gracious gift to the children of, of, of Joseph. We're going to see their faithless response. Then his provision for Manasseh along with Ephraim. First Ephraim and then Manasseh and their faithlessness in response as well. And then finally we're going to see how Joshua, a type of Christ, responds to their faithlessness. Let's begin in verse 1. We're going to look at chapters 16 and 17 tonight. Lord willing, beginning in verse 1, the true source of contentment. We're first going to see God's gracious gift to the children of Joseph. It says, the lot fell to the children of Joseph. The children of Joseph, remember, divided in two tribes. Levi did not have an inheritance in the land. They were the priests. And so they were spread out through the land to minister to the people. So Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Oldest sons of, of Joseph each received their own inheritance. The double portion that the one who's been blessed by God receives. So Joseph, one of the twelve sons of Jacob, received his father's blessing and this double portion. Now why did he get the blessing instead of his older brothers? Because Joseph was faithful. Because Joseph was the one who was thrown in a pit and yet kept serving God. Joseph was the one who was sold into slavery and yet kept serving God. Joseph was the one who was falsely accused and yet kept serving God. Joseph was the one who was falsely imprisoned and yet kept serving God. And Joseph was the one when his brother showed up and he had the ability to get even, didn't. Amen? It would have been real easy for Joseph to go, remember the guy you threw in the pit? Here I am. You thought you were rid of me? Remember I told you the dream about bowing to me? You better get to bowing. Right? 
that's not what happened. Joseph was gracious. And we see how God used Joseph and he received the blessing. Now, Joseph was a godly man, but we're going to see that his descendants are going to fall short, big time. And it's going to carry on when we get into the book of Judges. Now, understand this too. That we can get into our flesh when we're blessed. And we can get into our flesh because maybe we're of the chosen tribe. Imagine, I, I, you know, we don't have any proof of this, but I have a very good idea that some of the tribe of Joseph were pretty proud of it. You know, you're in 12 tribes. And you know what, you know human, human beings, these guys were the murmuring complainers in the wilderness too, right? So now they're going to, can you imagine? Man, get to step in. I'm of Joseph. You're of Gad. Get out of here, right? Can't you just see that happening? Because Joseph was the most favored one. We're the most favored of the tribes. We're the blessed of the tribes. We've got more people than any of the other tribes. We're going to get more of the land of promise than any of the other tribes. We're blessed. More than you. And it's so easy for us to get into our flesh. Again, if it wasn't for our Father's grace, they might have said, you guys would have starved. Right? You know, our dad made sure you guys ate. One for Joseph, you guys all would have starved to death. It's our tribe that made sure you guys didn't die out in the wilderness. Be thankful. And so, sadly though, we're going to see some of this because there's a little bit of an arrogance we're going to see as we go through the text. And we're going to see a little bit of a, again, not a humility or a brokenness, but them expecting that things ought to be handed to them because of who they are. Now it says there, the lot fell. Remember again from a couple of weeks ago, they drew these names. They drew the name of the tribe out of one urn. They drew the land that would be given out of the other urn. But God had said through Moses that this was his plan. This is how I'm going to do it. And so when it happened, it was no different than if God spoke it. It's like the word of God today. When we read it, it's no different than if God opened up the sky and said it. Amen? It's God's word. And so the lot was drawn, not by chance, And they were given their inheritance. So here's the land that they were given. If you want to go and put that map up there, Brian. It says there, The lot fell from Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east, to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountain to Bethel, then went up from Bethel to Luz, passed along the border of the Archites to Ataroth, and went down on the westward to the boundary of the Japhelites, as far as the boundary of the lower Beth Haran to Gezer. It ended at the sea. So the children of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim took their inheritance. So if you look up there, we saw Judah last week. You look up and you see the size of Ephraim and you see the size of Manasseh. Notice that half of Manasseh is outside of the land of promise. Remember that half of, that half of the tribe of Manasseh decided they wanted to just settle where it was easy. They didn't want to go in and fight the battle. So you have Ephraim and you have Manasseh. And if you put those two together, they have by far the greatest amount of inheritance. Judah's next after them, but they have the greatest amount of inheritance. Now let's talk about some of these lands. It's interesting. I love to look at the names of of things in God's Word. Because Jordan means the descender. Jordan, the descender. Jericho means the place of fragrance. It's interesting that in the Jordan is where Jesus was baptized. And when he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And Jordan means descender. Jericho is the place of fragrance, and it was the place where they had their first great victory. But fragrance also reminds me again of the way that they won the victory. Remember Jericho? How did they win? 
They marched around, and what did they do? They blew trumpets in worship. First, they were silent. They saw the greatness of their enemy for seven days. God was showing them how great he was by showing them how great the enemy was. And eventually, it was worship that brought Jericho down as they blew trumpets and marched around it. No, no tools, no weapons, just marched and trusted God. And the word Jericho means fragrance, as worship is a sweet aroma in the presence of Almighty God. Here they are in the land, and they've got the place of the descender, a picture of the Holy Spirit. They've got a place of fragrance, the worship unto Almighty God in their boundaries. Bethel, part of their, the cities within them, Bethel means house of God, and it's the place where God spoke to Jacob, and he built an altar unto the Lord and anointed it. Luz is the city, the word means separation. Be separated from the world. Be set apart. House of God. Separation. Ataroth means crowns. Jephthali means delivered. And Gezer means isolated. You know what? I think he's making a point. Guys, be separated from the world. Be in the world, but not of it. And why is it so significant? We're, we're going to see in tonight's text. He makes it very clear. I told you to go in the land. I told you to wipe them out. This is the land I'm giving you. It all belongs to you. Now go in there and be faithful. And the sad part is that so often as Christians, we are faithless when we ought to be faithful. It says here, and the children of Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. Ephraim means double fruitfulness. And that's exactly what they were. So Joseph's inheritance, again, the largest of the 12 tribes, ordained by God, descender, fragrance, house of God, separation, crowns, delivered, isolated. It was a place set apart by God where, again, he would fall upon them, a place dedicated to the Lord, a place that was a sweet aroma in God's presence, a place of riches and gifting and blessing, thus the crowns, and a place where they were to be separated from the world. Well, how are they going to respond to that? You know what, here's the thing guys, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but here's the, here's the point. God has a plan for every one of your lives in this room. God absolutely has drawn out a map for your life just like he drew out a map for them. And God ha wants to bless you, he wants to use you, he wants to give you gifts the same way he wants to do for them. God has a, a way that he wants to take and use the gifts he's given you that he might be glorified. And he's going to give you opportunities to use it. But there's going to be enemies that try to stop you, just like these guys are going to face. May we not fall into the same trap of Manasseh and Ephraim. Now let's take a look at Ephraim, beginning in verse 5. That's the, you can see it up there on the map. It's the southern portion. It says, The border of the children of Ephraim, according to their families, was thus. The border of their inheritance was on the east side of Astaroth, Adar, as far as upper Beth Haran. And the border went up toward the sea, north of the side of Mikmaneth, that the border went around eastward to Tanoth Shiloh, and passed on by the east side of Janona, Janoha. Then it went from Janoha to Ataroth to Nerah, reached up to the Jericho, came out of the Jordan, and the border went up from Tapua westward to Brook Kanah, and it ended at the sea. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Ephraim according to their families. Now we read this list. It doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But to them it would have been like them saying, okay, here's your border. Santa Cruz to Capitola. To... They understood. They knew exactly what it meant. And they knew, okay, God is giving us this land. It all belongs to us. I want to take note of a couple things that we see here. 
It says in verse 9, The separate cities for the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh, all the cities and their villages. And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. Were they supposed to drive them out? Why didn't they? Well, we're going to find out. Look what it says. But the Canaanites dwell among the Epaphramites to this day and have become forced laborers. Now, they're in the land of promise and God has told them, I want you to take all of the land. Again, just like the two and a half tribes that decided to settle on that side of the Jordan, there are those of us who are just satisfied, again, with the get out of hell free card. Hey, I'm going to heaven. You know, it's all good. That's all that matters. Guys, salvation is not the ending point. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of our walk with the Lord. He didn't call us to be converts, but disciples. Disciple means learner. One who's learning and growing. You've heard me say it before. To know Him is to love Him. You want to love God more, get to know Him better. Amen? And as we're discipled in Him and growing in Him, we're going to fall more in love with Him, and we're going to be more fruitful in our walk for Him. And so... It's so easy sometimes to just say, hey, get comfortable and stop short of God's highest. They go into the land, they're faithful to wipe out most of it, and now they get down and they run into the people, the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. Or Gezer. Now, the mistake they made is that in our circumstances, we can respond contrary to what God has clearly told us to do because we're afraid of men we lack faith, and be, or just because we're flat out being disobedient. In spite of all that God had done, they chose to flat out disobey God. They just said, okay, that's what God says, but I know better. Well, God said that, but that doesn't really apply to me in my current circumstances right now. And so often, don't we do that with God? Don't we think that we got like a special Bible just for us somewhere that we've, no one's ever read? You know, but that applies to everybody else, but my circumstances are different. And I, you know, me and God got a special arrangement. I've got someone very close to me that says that to me often. My older brother. Me and God, me and Jesus got a special arrangement. I'm I'm like, what, you don't believe in him and you're going to hell? Is that the arrangement? I mean, that's kind of harsh, I know. But here's the point. The point is that you can't sit there and say, we got our own special set of rules. And these guys were trying to set their own special set of rules. They're saying, okay, God said wipe them all out, but we're going to wipe most of them out. You know why? Because if we keep these guys alive, it'll be pretty sweet because they can work for us. Let's just compromise just a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. And then we'll have a bunch of laborers who then they can work and we won't have to. And you know what? That's exactly what happens in the life of many believers today. We, are, we know the true and living God, but we have a time where we just choose to compromise because we're more worried about our physical ease, our own wealth, our physical pleasure, than we are standing right before God. Guys, God doesn't give us commands. You've heard me say this so many times. God doesn't give us commands because He's no fun bummer God. God gives us commands because He loves you and He knows what's best for you. When a mom or dad tells a two-year-old they can't play with a knife, it's not because there's a no fun bummer mom and dad. Amen? It's because they know the knife will bring harm to their child. The kid sees a shiny blade and thinks it would be fun to play with. And mom and dad know blood is coming. And the same is true with God. We sometimes think we're 
we're getting over on God by just skirting the issue a little bit, and all we're doing is grabbing a hold of the sharpest knife in the drawer, and blood's coming. We need to learn to trust that God knows what is best for us. So here's what happens in these circumstances. Instead of trusting the Lord, what happens is they don't drive out the Canaanites, and they don't drive them out. We find out the reason why, because they wanted to have forced laborers. Now this sort of compromise may seem innocent, but guess what? Guess what's going to come into the land? Idolatry. Where's the idolatry going to come from? Where's the idol worship going to come from? Where's the turning away from the true and living God to the false gods of the land going to come from? It's going to come from those in the land that were not wiped out. He said, wipe them out. Well, yeah, but you know, why wipe them out when we can make money from them? Why wipe them out if we can leave them here and they can plow the field for us? I mean, it's stupid to get rid of laborers, isn't it? No, it's not stupid if God told us different. Amen? God said don't. God said get rid of them. And you know what? God said it. That settles it. Amen? God's word ought to be enough. One reason we're going to see so many struggles in the days of Judges is the compromise by every tribe outside of Caleb. Caleb's going to be the only one that does what God says. The only one. Everybody else, including his own tribe of Judah, is going to compromise. And then they're going to wonder why they got problems when the times of Judges comes along. Guys, we compromise, and then we want to blame God when we have trials. We compromise, we don't do what God says, and then we wonder why our kids aren't walking with the Lord. We compromise, we don't do what God says, and we wonder why we're having trials in our marriage. We compromise, we don't do what God says, and then we're sweating it out, the consequences of sin. Guys, the Lord loves us. He knows what's best for us. If it makes life easier, why can't we disobey God just a little bit and compromise and be a little bit like the world? You know what's sad about this? Ephraim is the tribe of Joshua. These are Joshua's homies right here. These are Joshua's boys. They're not going to do what God told them to do. They're going to say, well, almost, but hey, it'll pat our pockets. It'll make things easier on us. You know what? Sin always promises promises to bring you ease and it always brings you harm it always sin would not be something we'd fall into if it didn't promise us something good if it didn't bring some enjoyment you know sin is pleasurable for a season that's what the bible says if it wasn't fun for a moment we would never do it if sin was eating lima beans we probably just could all go right by without it amen but sin is always going to be chocolate cake it's going to be something enticing it's going to be something and and, and enemies gonna be going go ahead it won't matter it'll be okay god will forgive you later you know what it's true but you know what we have separation from god for that time and we have the consequences of putting the pounds on our hips later or something right (laughs) for eating the chocolate cake but the point here is that they're going to compromise and as we're going to see later remember this when we get to judges These compromises are going to absolutely have consequences. We're going to see it in the end of chapter 17 as well. You cannot compromise with the world and make it your servant. When you compromise with the world, you make yourself a slave to it. When you compromise with the world, it doesn't become your slave, you become its. And they thought they were going to make these people their slaves, and instead they would become enslaved to the idols and the false gods of the Canaanites down the road. Compromise leads not to contentment, but to sin and separation from God. Now let's get to chapter 17. 
the true source of contentment. Now look at Manasseh. We've seen Ephraim. They blew it. What do you think Manasseh might do? Do you think there's a good chance that they might blow it as well? Well, let's read. There also was a lot for the tribe of Manasseh. For he was the firstborn of Joseph, namely from Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. Therefore he was given Gilead and Bashan. Now, Machir was the only son of Manasseh. So all of the children of Manasseh came through Machir. Now, we know that Manasseh was split in half. And Bashan and Gilead, where are they? That side. Who was the king of Bashan? Bonus points. Og. Remember the giant, the fat guy, right? The big giant fat guy, Og. He was the king of Bashan and they wiped him out. And two and a half tribes, including half of the tribe of Manasseh, said, hey, these guys have already been whipped. We don't have to fight any more battles to get our land. Their fortresses are here. They got green grass that's great for our cattle. So let's just stay on this side and not have to deal with all the enemies on that side. And that's what the enemy will always try to get us to do. Compromise for less than God's highest and it'll always make it look really good to do so. And that's what these people spoken of so far did. They stayed on the other side. And it says, and there was a lot for the rest of the children. Now those are the ones in the land of promise. And now it's just going to give a list of their names. A list of the children of Israel. It says there, the rest of the children of Manasseh according to their families. The children of Ebiezer, the children of Halak, the children of Asriel, the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, the children of Shemada. These were the male children of Manasseh, son of Joseph, according to their families. So, we're going to continue on with the list in a moment, but they take a momentary break here to remind us of something that happened back in Numbers. Look at verse 3. But Zolophad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, had no sons but only daughters, and these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milcah, and Tirzah. You know, when the, when the Bjortmans, we were looking for a female girl's name. I suggested Hogla, but they just weren't going for it. I said, it's a biblical name. She's in the Bible. She's actually a mighty woman of God, Hogla. They just weren't going for it. So what happened was these women found out in numbers that they did not have an inheritance in the land because they didn't have any male descendants. And so they came to Moses and said, we need to be cared for. And the Lord responded and spoke to Moses saying, the daughters of Zolophad speak what is right to you. Give them an inheritance in the land. You know what? I appreciate that they came and sought an inheritance from God. We need to come and seek a greater inheritance from God. And I'm not talking about the heavenly inheritance. We've already got that. But God, how do you want to use me here? He can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. And like Caleb who asked for the land of the giants, these women came in and asked for the land that God had already promised them. Look at verses 4 through 6. And they came near to Eleazar the priest before Joshua, the son of Nun, before the ruler, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Ten shares fell to Manasseh besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh, Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. Now, 
One thing to point out here is, what did they ask for? They asked for what God had already promised. And I like that. Because you know what the, the prayer that we can pray with the greatest amount of faith is praying prayers for things that God has already promised. Has God already given us a great deal of promises? What's the answer? Big time. This is a book full of it right here. You pray and ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Guess what's going to happen every single time? He's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because His Word says, if you pray and ask, He will. We, can, we know that's true, right? You can pray and ask, Lord, give me greater boldness to reach out to the lost people around me. Will He answer that prayer? Every single time. He's a faithful God. He promises in His Word. We can pray in according to the promises of His Word and trust and know that He absolutely will do it. And so that's one of the things we ought to be doing more of is praying not my will, but thy will be done. Amen? Amen. Praying according to the will of God, according to the word of God, not what I think. And we can trust that his promises will come to pass because he's always faithful to his word. These young women came forward and said, hey, just like Caleb, whoa, Joshua, we talked to Moses, we got the promise from God, we get land, right? God said... And, and of course, they were given exactly what he said. Now, verses 7 through 13, we're going to see the borders of Manasseh. Again, up on this map, the, the borders that are on the left-hand side there of Jordan. And we're going to skip down to verse 11, because I just want to point out a couple major cities. And then I want to close out by looking at Joshua's response to their faithlessness. Look at verse 11. And it says there, And in Issachar and Asher, Manasseh had Bethshane, its towns, Albim, and the towns, and the inhabitants of Dor, and its towns, and the inhabitants of Endor, and its towns. Endor, where do you read that in the Bible? King Saul. King Saul didn't like what Samuel told him. And so later he goes and seeks counsel from the witch at Endor. Now how in the world are there witches in Endor if Manasseh is supposed to wipe out all the ungodly people there? We don't take care of the ungodliness in our life. Guess what? It's going to grow worse. And what's happening here, they didn't take them out and wipe them out. So instead, there were witches now in Endor. And he had told them to go and wipe them out. And the inhabitants of Tanakh and its towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo and its towns, three hilly regions. Those of you going to Israel with us, we're going to go to Megiddo. And Megiddo is an awesome place because Megiddo is a place... It means the place of crowds. It was originally a royal city of the Canaanites. But guess what's going to happen there? Revelation 16 says, And he gathered them together in the place of the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Armageddon means the hill or city of Megiddo. Guess what? We know exactly where the final battle on earth is going to take place. Napoleon said, looking over the Jezreel Valley, which is at the valley of Armageddon, he said, the most natural place for a battle on the face of this planet. Now the good news is, if you're born again, you and I are going to be in heaven and coming back for the battle on the winning side. Amen? And praise God for that. The battle belongs to the Lord. And I'm so thankful. But Megiddo was one of the cities within the area that was given to Manasseh. Now watch how Manasseh responds. Watch how he may have even learned that tribe from the tribe of Ephraim. Because look how they respond. Yet the children of Manasseh 
could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. Now, let me ask you a question. Did God already promise he would wipe them out? The answer is yes. So could not is would not. They could not because they didn't have faith. They could not because they did not trust God. You know what? I believe that Caleb with a stick in his hand could have taken care of all of them. I believe that. You know why? Because Caleb went out and fought the giants, 85 years old, by himself, wiped them all out. Why? Because it was him plus God. You plus God is the majority. Amen? Amen. But they go down there and they see the size of the enemy and they could not wipe them out. And the truth is that they would not due to a lack of faith could have been indifference or just plain disobedience. They just didn't want to get in the battle. Isn't it easier sometimes just to keep your mouth shut and do nothing? Isn't that true? Somebody will be blaspheming God or saying something, and the Holy Spirit's going, I want you to talk to him. And you're like, I'm eating my lunch. You ever argue with God? Have you ever argued with God? I have. God's t- I mean, I feel like the Holy... No, it's not an audible voice. I've told you my, the story about 7-Eleven. I'll tell you again for some of you who are new. Years ago, I'm, on, I'm going between sales calls. I used to be a Yellow Page sales rep. And I'm in Southern California, and I'm running late from one appointment to the next, and I've got six attorneys waiting for me who don't like you to be late. And they're a huge account for me. But I'm running late from the previous account I had. It went long. It's 105 degrees out, and I'm dying of thirst. And so I, I stop at a 7-Eleven really quick to get a super big gulp or something cold, right? And I literally throw my door open and run into the 7-Eleven to grab something. Now, I notice on my way in, there's a guy sitting on the ground. And he was pretty tore up. And as I walked back out, I got in my car. I felt like the Lord was telling me, I want you to go talk to him. But Lord, I've got an appointment. Lord, I'm running late. You don't understand. Yeah, God doesn't understand. <laughs> so I started to back my car out. And, and it's, you know... I want you to go talk to him right now. And I'm arguing with God. I'm driving away. Lord, after my appointment, I'll stop back by here. If he's still here, I'll share Jesus with him for an hour. I promise. Right? I'm driving down the road. I get to the stoplight, and now the Lord's saying, go back and talk to him. Right? You know what I'm talking about? All right. So I flip a Yui. I go back there. I throw my car door open. I grab a tract out of the door because I keep tracks in the door. I grab a tract out of the door. I think I kind of lean forward and kind of, you know, threw the track out at him like this and said, I just want you to know Jesus loves you. He came and suffered and died. You might have eternal life. You want to read this tract and really bless the ministry of your heart. <laughs> and I start to walk away and get back in my car. Okay, Lord did it, right? As I start to walk away, the guy comes for, toward me and he falls into my arms and he starts weeping. And I notice he's got fingers missing on his hands. His skin is all gnarled up. I started to talk to him, and he was a homeless guy who'd been set on fire. Somebody had, he'd slept in the wrong place. They set him on fire. His life was a disaster. He said, just moments before you got here, I was across the street. I had a gun pointed at my head, and I was about to kill myself. I came across the street. I I was sitting there, and I said, okay, God, if you're real, prove it to me. I went over and I sat down and you get out of the car and tell me how much Jesus loves me. And then I got Jesus bumps. Because I almost missed it. Amen? Because we get so busy, so caught up in what we're doing, we miss out on what God wants to do in us. Manasseh was so caught up in what they were doing, they didn't want to hear what the Lord was telling them. 
The interesting part is I ended up getting that guy plugged into a church that was nearby. I ended up going back and, t- and visiting with him several times. Brought a bunch of my clothes to him. You know, ministered. You know, divine appointments, guys. And I want to I tell you this much, too, though. Just so your pastor doesn't come across as some holier-than-thou guy. I've driven away from those two and not turned around. I've walked right by them. One time I felt like God told me to get up at McDonald's and just preach the gospel. And I was like, that, that can't be, that can't. Lord, that can't be you. If you tell me to supersize my meal, I can roll with that. But. Well, these guys would not. They would not do what God had called them to do. They would not respond. And then look at verse 13 says there, and it happened when the children of Israel grew strong and they put the Canaanites to forced labor. Now, wait a minute. Do you see a little bit of contrast here? They could not drive them out, but they could make them slaves. How does that work? How can you not defeat somebody, but you can put them into the bondage of slavery? They grew strong enough to enslave them, but they didn't grow strong enough to destroy them or remove them from the land. This is compromise all the way down the line, disobedience to what God had told them to do. They were more, again, concerned with making money, having people to work for them, than obeying God. God had warned them that they were not to make any agreements with the people of Canaan, but to be totally separated from them. It says in Judges, And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will, not, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. Why did that happen? Why did their gods become a snare? Because they didn't drive them out when God told them to. Guys, if there's stuff in your house, habits you're holding on to, get rid of them. Amen? Amen? Don't, don't, oh, but yeah, but yeah, you know, Right? so hard the enemy again doesn't tempt you with stuff that's no fun not going to tempt you with lima beans it's going to be chocolate cake and it's going to be you know when you're starving that's what the enemy does you know what they may have been following ephraim's example and this spoke a lot to me as a pastor because you know what we must be careful in the example we follow and also in the example that we are to others ephraim's example may have been the very reason manasseh said hey man did you hear the guys at Ephraim got a bunch of Canaanite guys working for them. They're sitting around drinking lemonade while they're plowing the field. We ought to do that. Yeah. And that's what often happens is that we follow the example of a man when we ought to only follow the example of God. Only the word of God should lead in every aspect of life. You know, there was one man whose example they could have followed. How about Caleb's example? Why don't you follow him? Yeah, but he wiped them out, and that's no fun. I would just as soon have some slaves. So we'll choose the examples we like, and we'll choose the ones that we think will benefit us. Okay, lastly, look at Joshua's response to their laziness, faithlessness, their compromise, their discontentment. Look at verse 14. Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot? And one share to inherit, since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord blessed us until now. Have you seen the map? Who's got the biggest land? They do. And they're moaning and they're whining. How come we didn't get more? Now, they're the spoiled, rotten Joseph's kids. Right? 
But Joseph is the main bub, and we're his kids, so we get more. And we want more. Now, they're asking for more, and sadly, they're asking for more, and I think presumptuously, because Joshua is one of them. Joshua is one of the guys of their tribe. And they think, okay, we got some slaves already. We just need more land. So let's go ask Joshua. I mean, he's one of us. He's an Ephraimite. So let's just go ask him. And you know what? This happens, even with pastors. You know, our church wasn't that old. And I had what, a guy who was a very close friend of mine at the time. He'd been a friend of mine for many years. And there was a situation in the church I had prayed about. I felt like I heard directly from the Lord, and I had the Word of God to back me up. And he came to me and told me, if you don't do it the other way, I'm leaving. And he thought because we'd been friends for 20 years that I was more concerned about his friendship than my relationship with God. Guess what? You're wrong. He was so hard. And I said, bro, I'm going to miss you. What? You're not going to do what I say? I said, let me see. You, God. Let me pick. God. Every time. Doesn't mean I don't love you, but I'm going to obey God. And you know what? You're going to have friends pressure you to do things contrary to God's will. And they'll pressure you because of the relationship they have with you. You know what? Your relationship with God better supersede every relationship you have with every man, woman, and child on this planet. You say, God said, that's enough. But my friend, I don't care what your friends say. I don't care how many people voted on it. Guys, we're not going to vote here. We're going to go by God's word. We can all vote. and Well, I think we ought to have alcohol at church on Sundays. Let's have keggers. Let's do that. I'm for that, right? We're not doing that here. Be not drunk with wine. Amen? Word of God supersedes man. Whenever they vote in the Bible, it doesn't work out too well. Never does. And so God had spoken. The land was more than adequate. And they're trying to change God's mind. Here's the real problem that's going to be revealed in the next couple of verses. It wasn't that they didn't already have enough territory but they wanted more because the enemy lived in their territory and they didn't want to have to conquer them. If they had taken the enemy out, they'd had plenty of land. But instead, they let the enemy stay, let them serve as slaves. Now they were crowded because the enemy was there and now they wanted more land instead of just taking the enemy out and they'd have more land. So they were trying to get more land in the midst of their compromise. Let me continue living outside of God's will and give me more stuff, God, to approve my behavior. Well, look how Joshua responds. And you got to love that Joshua, who's one of them, takes God's side instead of being pressured by men. Look what he says. So Joshua said, if you're a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. You want more land? Go chop some trees down. He said, you guys are being lazy, sitting around wanting to do nothing. Part of your land is a forest. Go get after it. And he's telling them, God does not want us sitting on our duff doing nothing for his kingdom. Go chop some trees down. You don't have enough land because you're not doing anything. You're sitting around. You know, some of us want to sit at home and watch Gilligan's Island and eat a bag of chips and have God provide for us by putting a check in our mailbox. That's not God's provision, amen? God provides for us by the sweat of our brow, it says in Genesis. By the toil, especially you guys, us guys, by the toil of our, sweating of our brow. For all of our life, the Bible says. So we need to be busy about God's work. Now look what it says in verse 16. 
But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. Both those of Bethshane and its towns and those who are in the valley of Jezreel. So there's woods up there and they got chariots down there. We need more land. No, you need to go fight the battles. You need to go chop the trees down and need to trust God and go fight the enemy down in the valley. That's what you need to do. And instead of wanting to face the enemy, they just want God to make it easy. You know what? The valleys are too filled with people. Guys, the valley of the shadow of death, right? But who's with us? The Lord is every time. They wanted the easy way out. They wanted more land when they weren't being faithful with the land that they had. This reminds me of so many people in the church today. They want more power, more position, more of an opportunity in ministry, and yet they're not even being faithful with what they're supposed to be doing right now. When I was a youth pastor, this happened all the time. People would come in and tell me how they needed to be in charge of the youth group now. I've never seen them before. Walk in the door. I was supposed to be in charge. I should be teaching here, and I should be in do. Who are you? I've never seen you. Where did you come from? Well, I've got this. And I... You know what? The sad part is that we want more when we're not even faithful with what we have. Lord, just let me be faithful with what I have. Guys want to run the church who don't even read the Bible every day. They want to be in charge of ministries. They don't even pray. They want to head up something and you know, be a missionary on the mission field, but they won't deny themselves for the sake of the kingdom of God. We're not diligent to serve others unless it's the way we want to serve. Well, I'll serve, but it's got to be a cool way of serving. You know, If I can serve and everybody will see me serving, I'm for that. If I have to serve in anonymity, what's the point? And often that's the way people are. I don't want to, if I'm going to mop, I want to mop like right in the middle of the room when everybody's there, not in the bathroom where nobody is. It's that, you know, serving so that we will be magnified and lifted up. But only one should be magnified, and it's the Lord. You know what? Bloom where you're planted. You want God to use you more? Be faithful right where you are. Right now. God has a plan for you right where you are. Be faithful right where you are, and guess what? He will open more doors for ministry. You know what God looks for? The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. You know what I look for first? Servant's heart. All day. Beats everything. You can be the greatest Bible teacher in the world if you don't have a servant's heart. It means nothing. You may be the most gifted worship leader. If you don't have a servant's heart, it means nothing. It's a clanging symbol to God. Amen? There's no love. There's not a servant's heart. Not a desire to lay down your life. You know what's interesting? We're going to see as we move on that Ephraim and Manasseh are the biggest group of complainers the rest of the way. And it starts right here. They feel entitled. But I'm entitled. You don't understand. I've been a Christian for 27 years. That means, you know, I don't have to do the put chairs away. I did that. We had to all be putting them away. Amen? We had to all be servants. We never should elevate ourselves to the point where we think we've arrived. And you know what I find also true? Those who tend to complain the most tend to be those who are doing the least. I don't know why that works. But it's true. The people that come out and complain, this church needs this, and we need this, and we need this, and we need this, and we need this. And how many of those would you like to do? I'm not saying I'm doing it. I just think we need it. It would be so much more convenient for me if somebody else was doing it. It just cracks me up. And the people that are serving like crazy never complain. 
What an opposite to Caleb. Caleb just was faithful. Caleb was given the, the, the land of the giants and said, okay, let's go get them. You've got to love Caleb. Last two verses. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and, and Manasseh, and said, You're a great people. You have great power. You shall not only have one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its, and its farthest extent shall be yours. And for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they may have iron chariots and are strong. Does he give them what they want? He doesn't say, okay, more land. He says, be faithful with the land you've been given. Go cut down the trees and go down and fight the enemy as God has told you. Instead of asking for an easier path, be faithful with the path that God has given you. Real faith is seen in a willingness to fight the battles that nobody else wants. There's faith. When someone says, what does nobody else want to do? And that happens sometimes. People come to me and say, what is it that nobody else in the church wants to do? I'll do that. Oh, there's somebody been touched by God. Amen? I'll do whatever. Nobody else wants to do it? I'll do that. Caleb, nobody else wants to land with the giants? Give it to me. I want to be there. And then you got Manasseh and Ephraim. They got the beautiful land. They got the most land. And what are they saying? We need more. You need to have more services that start when I wake up. You know, I get up around 11.45. I'm thinking noon would be good on Sundays. You know, we, in the church is me. It should be all about me. It should be around my schedule. I feel like we should be in uh, uh, Jeremiah today, Pastor. Now preach something. I can't do that. It's not about you, amen? It's about Him. Him alone. All of it. Don't be afraid to work hard, you guys. You know what? When we will just be faithful in the small things, God will use us in the great things. So the true source of contentment, here's what it is. It's not having more of what you don't have, but it's being faithful with what you do. It's not wanting or having more of what you don't have. That's not the source of contentment, but it's being faithful with what you do. And how do you start? By first being in intimate fellowship with the Lord. How much time did you have in the Word today? How much time did you spend in prayer today? How much time did you intercede on behalf of your co-workers today? How much time did you pray for your unsafe family and friends today? How much time do you listen to worship in your car today? You want to be content if you're single? It's not by adding a spouse, but by being content in Him and prepared for the day when He does bring your spouse. Be content now in Him. At work, it's not the promotion, but faithfulness and godly contentment where you are so that you're ready for the promotion when it comes. In ministry, it's intimate fellowship with the Lord and being faithful where you are so that you're ready when God wants to use you more. Amen? The true source of contentment starts with intimacy with God. Getting in the place where you're so in love with Him that you're content no matter how big the waves are around you or how smooth the sailing is. Amen? Your contentment is not based on your circumstances, but on your intimate walk with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace, for your infinite mercy. Help us, Lord, not to be content, Lord, outside of your will.